G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Fight for Success podcast. Today, I'm joined by none other than Sam Panetta. Sam, welcome to the show, mate. Mate, I'm excited to, to be on here and have a little bit of banter with you. I've seen the show's taken off and I was waiting for my, my chance to come on and, uh, <laughs> and, and yell at the people. Love that, mate. No, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you jumping on. Mate, I, the, I wanted to jump, um, get you on because, um, you know, obviously we work together with, at Aureus, but, um, you know, what you've been able to achieve with Aureus, with, with Jackson, um, it's pretty phenomenal. So I want to um, share your story with our audience and also um, get, touch on a few other things with regards to property as well, because I know you're an absolute expert at this um, property game. So, but mates, before we get into all that stuff, what's just a quick 30 seconds, mate, who's, who's Sam? So Sam Panetta, uh, personally, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, my, my wife, Elise, uh, and my two little girls, Ariana and Talia, uh, they're, you know, what, I, uh, what I, I do all of this for. Do you know what I mean? That's who, since I was a, a little kid, I wanted to be a dad and a, and a husband. So I've, I've knocked that off. And then professionally, I would say that I'm a business person, I'm the co-founder of Aureus Financial, uh, and I'm an avid property investor. Love that, man. I, I remember hearing you um, uh, talk about uh, Warren Buffett's uh, quotes about hundred uh, choosing a hundred things you're passionate about and then bringing them down to two. What what was that that um, inspired you to do that? Yeah, so I, I was young when I I stumbled across this right, and it just really resonated with me, Mick. It was basically saying, write down a hundred things that you want to be in life. Okay, uh, the like everything that you want to achieve. He goes, then take it down to the 20 most important and then take it down to the two most important. And that's, if you really want to strive for greatness, that's all you're going to be able to do. Because um, the focus that it requires to become excellent in, in one or two things uh, is, it's hard as it is. If you're trying to do 20 or 50 or 100 things, almost impossible to, to be the best at it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always struggled to do that. Ever since I heard you talk about that, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write down a hundred things. I'm going to try and get it down to two, but I, I just, I can't do it. I can't get it down to two things. It's like, <laughs> I get it down to a couple of things similar to you, like family and business and things like that. But um, then I would think about, okay, I want to do jujitsu as well. And I want to do, um, you know, traveling and things like that. And I'm like, these are the kind of things that I want to be doing, but I, I struggle to get it down to two things. So what do you, I guess, what do you have any advice for anyone that wants to Kind of get a uh, focus on the right things, but um, may have some other things they want to do as well. Yeah, look, I think if you can get it down to four, that's even pretty good. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I would suggest, I would suggest uh, that probably, you know, with being an athlete, uh, jujitsu, that's that's one. That's probably one on its own. Uh, I think traveling and family, that's that's probably one in the same, mate. That's yeah, probably true. one in the same, especially now that you're a father, um, you know, going away with, with, with your wife, Sarah, um, and the little one, you, you're going to share those traveling experiences with your, your family. Uh, and then, you know, wanting to do well as a business person and as an investor, I think that's killer. It's uh, I'm all about that. Yeah, I love that. Okay, cool, man. Um, mate, just um, also uh, tell us a bit about um, your business and um, how you got to where you are now. So the Aureus Financial Group, basically was born to be a holistic financial services business. It was something where someone could come and work with Aureus Financial and we could take care of their entire financial life. Uh, that, was the, that was the dream. That was the vision at the start. And, and Jackson and I met uh, back at Yellow Brick Road back in the day years ago um, and we were working for the, the, the top performing branch in the country. So we were doing really well in the early days when we were young and had a, couple less grays. Um, <laughs> but 
that the, the yellow brick road model is what attracted me to it because it was trying to be the same, a similar thing, right? A holistic financial services business, but it, it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite that. So Jackson and I got together and said, let's do this, but let's actually do it. You know, let's make um, the the group. And I think I would summarize Aureus Financial today. Um, basically, it's, it's helping ambitious Australians achieve their lifestyle and financial goals. I think that's what we do. We've, we've, we, we do it using financial services, but that's what we're trying to do, help people um, live the life that they want and then they need money. So we help them with the money part of it so they can actually live the lifestyle that they want. Yeah. <clears throat> Mate, when, when you first started Aureus, like you you guys, it was just you, Jackson, and, and Sal at the time? Was it, was it just you three? It was. It was me, yeah. Jackson, and Big Sal, and we were um, we were – in my mother-in-law's spare bedroom. So shout out to <laughs> shout out to Teresa and, and Warwick, my, my in-laws. So we had a little room in there. We had a desk, uh, but it only fit one person. We had a lounge. So I was on the desk and Jackson and Sal were on the lounge. Uh, we were just sort of plugging away uh, until we got our until we got our first office. So very, very humble start. Yeah, wow. Well, uh, it was it was pretty awesome watching you guys start because I, I knew Jackson back in the day. Um, and I remember when you did launch Aureus Financial and it was, it was a big thing. It was all over social media. It was um, You guys were doing some really great things with that, like Ask Aureus Anything and a few other things. It was, it was really helpful and valuable. Um, but just to see you guys grow like pretty quickly, um, what mm. do you think was some of the biggest struggles um, in those early days to get it to that kind of next level where you could start you know, scaling and bringing more people into the business? And um, yeah, just generally about those early days. Man, I think the biggest struggle, there was two things. There was two things. Jackson and I were very good technicians, right? We were fantastic. He was a financial advisor. I was a mortgage broker. And we were proven performers as technicians. But it was early days as business people. We, we At the time, we weren't savvy business people. It was the first full foray into business that we, that we both had. Um, and we quickly learned that we had to become business people, not mortgage brokers, not financial advisors. Uh, so I think that was the biggest learning curve. And I think a lot of other business owners go through a very similar thing where they're fantastic at their trade, um, but being a really good carpenter um, or being a really good accountant and being someone who owns a carpentry business or someone who owns an accounting firm, they're two different skill sets. So that was the, that was the first really hard thing with having to learn an entirely new skill set. And I think the second hard thing was the cash burn. I came into the business with a little bit of money. Jackson came into the little bit business with a little bit of money and we tried to grow quickly and we were really ambitious and we burnt through a lot of cash, especially in those first 12 months until we found our feet. And um, that was difficult to deal with on an emotional level. I actually ended up getting sick. I ended up going to hospital um, because I was a new father, new business, we're burning cash and we're like, man, we've got to do this better. And that's how the rules started to come together. That's a lot of the stuff now that we're teaching to our clients. That's because we had to implement them ourselves in order to stop ourselves from making stupid decisions. Um, so that were the two things that were tough in the early days. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like um, you can be an amazing technician as you're, in your role as like you just su- suggested, but once you do start and become a business owner, you got to start thinking about, well, how am I going to get my first client? And, you know, I, I, I was an, I was killing it as an employee and just with, you know, uh, leads and everything getting fed to me. But as soon as I got to go out and find them myself, all of a sudden, how am I going to do that? How am I going to attract people? How am I going to then convert them into actual clients? Um, how am I going to deliver it on the promise and keep them as clients in the future? So 
Yeah, there is a lot more to it than just being the technician in the role, isn't there? <laughs> 100%, mate. It's, it's a totally different skill set. It's a totally different skill set. I would argue that you could potentially start a business without having the technical skill required in the business and you'd probably do better um, without the technical skill because you can't lean on it that way. Yeah, that's true. Like I was talking to a few uh, like personal trainers in the fitness industry and they were saying that the ones who do do really well aren't necessarily that good at trainers. They're mm-hmm. actually really good business people. And it's not, you know, they don't actually need to be amazing at how to, you know, do the perfect squat or, you know, write out the perfect training plan. If they know how to run a business, they're going to be a lot more successful than the guys who are absolutely amazing technicians as a personal trainer, but just don't know how to do the sales and marketing and everything else. hundred percent, mate. And, and I've got to, I saw this in real life because I left school when I was 15 and I went into the smash repair industry and the, the, there was this particular uh, shop and it was well known that the, the boss wasn't a particularly good tradesman, um, but he was an excellent business person. And I would argue with people because uh, I got to know this person quite well, I'd argue with people that the skill set when running a business is being the business owner. It's not getting on the cars and you know hammering the hammering the panels. And so I quickly picked that up when I was young, and I, it always sort of stuck with me that it's two completely different skill sets. Yeah, mate. Um, you, what, what would you say um, when you were younger? Because I, I remember I've watched a few of your podcasts. Um, a shout out to the Sam Panetta show. We'll, we'll put the links down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but mate. You've mentioned a lot that when you were younger, you always set goals and mm. always worked towards those things and really just decided one when you were younger that you were um, you know, going to be wealthy and going to do mm. well. What was it in like in your head that just made you want to achieve all of that and be able to work towards it and understand how to work towards it? Oh, man, I think that my parents were 16 when I was born. So 15 when my mother fell pregnant, 16 when I was born. Um, so that was a very unique upbringing. I had my, my nonna and nonna there and I had my two uncles that we shared bunk beds with. Um, and it was unique, but it was amazing. But when you have, when you're 16 and you have kids, you don't have a lot of money. You know what I mean? You, you sort of struggle through life. My mom and dad had to drop out of school. My mom got an admin role. My dad got an apprenticeship. Um, so when in the early days, there wasn't a lot of cash floating around and sometimes they used to have arguments and things like that uh, because of money. And I used to listen to it. And I remember one night when I was eight years old, they're having a blue um, and I got really upset. Um, and it was basically for lack of money. Mm. And I said to myself as an eight years old kid, I'm never, I'm never not going to have money. I'm always going to have money my whole life. Um, and, you know, we're, I'm from a blue collar family. My family migrated from Italy um, back in the day. So very, you know, humble, humble people. Um, and it just stuck with me, man. And I was lucky enough because I was really good at maths and I just got how money work. And so you had this, this, this ember inside of you burning away with this natural skill set uh, that was good with numbers and, and good with money. And, you know, by, by the time I was 10 years old, I was, you know, taking shells from the beach and selling them at my grandfather's um, barbershop. And I was selling me lunch at school and I wasn't eating it. So I was doing all these things. And one of the, the big things that hit me, one of the big things that hit me, I was with my, my uncles and all my cousins one day and we'll go into the, the drag racing. I still remember so vividly. And they were talking about what's their favorite car, right? And I said, oh, like Tiranas and I like Commodores and, uh, you know, the, your, typical, your typical Aussie cars. Yeah. And they're, what's your favorite car, Sam? I said, I like Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And they all started laughing. They all started laughing. Uh, so what are you laughing about? That's what I like. Um, and 
meaning well, you know, they were well-meaning, all these people, they loved me dearly. They said, that's, um, that's, those sorts of cars aren't for people like us. I said, what do you mean they're not for people like us? They said that those cars are for rich people. And for what they saw as an issue, for me, my head, the idea that came was I'll be rich then. Like that was a very simple solution. If I wanted a Ferrari, I'll just get lots of money and be rich. And I said that to them. I said, well, I'll, I'll be rich. And they all sort of, they all sort of stopped, you know, they all sort of stopped and they were like, I think I caught them off guard because I was only just a little kid. Um, so there was little things like that, events along the way that just sort of solidified what I needed to do to get what I wanted in life. Yeah. Did you think there's like how much of the like m- m- mindset of um, just, you know, focusing on how to achieve what you want to achieve um, allows people to actually then go out and achieve their goals? Because I guess if you focus on the wrong things, you're going to end up in the wrong places, right? If you focus on exactly where you want to go and work out a plan on how to get there, one day you'll hopefully get there if you go the right right track. How much of a, like your mindset plays into it? It's everything, Nick. It's, it's I, I don't want to, you know, overestimate it or, or pump it up too much, but your mindset is, is absolutely everything in, in life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, if you don't have your mind right, then the activity can't follow. It just can't. You know, mm-hmm. if if you know if you if you like if you like playing the pokies and you put in your, your your paycheck through the pokies every week and you think that's like the pinnacle of doing something cool. If that's what's in your head, that's what you're going to do, and the behavior is going to follow. And no matter how disciplined you are, you're going to fall into the same old trap. But if your mindset is like I don't play the fucking pokies because I know I know it takes. It pays out 80 cents to every dollar. So it's a losing bet, right? And if you know that, then you don't even have to have discipline to play the pokies. Like it's just simple things like that where it all starts in your mind and then your actions follow. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> and it kind of um, uh, leads into another thing that I saw on Facebook the other day, which kind of leads into property. Um, I saw um, this post that was floating around. I think it's been shared like 20,000 times. It was written by a, a kid in his early 20s and it was about basically the property market. Um, basically said that in 2000, in 2000 the average uh, income was $43,000, I think it was. And in 2020, the average income is $53,000. In twenty in 2000, the average property price in Australia was 120000 And in 2020, the average property price is 450000 um, and the average car price in 2000 was 20 grand or something like that. And the average car price in 2020 is um, like 40 grand or something like that. So basically properties have doubled, uh, sorry, property, uh, properties have quadrupled, cars have doubled, but income's only gone up by like 20% or something like that. That mm. was essentially the crux of the, the post. Mm. And like everyone's sharing it around going, see, um, you know, all the older generations are looking at the young 20s going, oh, you're just lazy and things like that. But I don't actually think it's a laziness issue. I think it's just um, don't have the right mindset and don't understand how to make that system work for you. Because when I saw the post, the first thing I thought of was, okay, property generally doubles in value every 10 years, right? If, it's, if you've got, got a good property, that's what it should be doing. Mm-hmm. So if a property in 2000 was 120 grand and in 2020, it's now 450 grand, that, that kind of goes along that same pattern that it doubles every 10, every 10 years. So if you buy it now, that means that you could make $450,000 in 10 years. Whereas if someone bought in 2000, they've only made like 300 grand in 20 years. So in my mind, I was thinking it's never been a better time to actually build enormous amounts of wealth. 
and achieve financial freedom quicker than ever before. But everyone's using that kind of scenario as an excuse to not take any action. So what are your thoughts on like the whole property market at the moment and kids that are trying to look, like look at the market and see it as impossible? How do, what, what are your thoughts on how they can actually just make this system work for them? I really love this conversation. I'm going to ruffle a couple of feathers. So I, I bought my first property when I was 18, Mick. I bought a, an apartment in, in Manly Vale for 325000 uh, I dropped out of school when I was 15, worked. I've worked odd jobs. I've worked full-time as an apprentice. I was on tradesman wages because I honed my craft as much as I could. Um, I was working weekends. I was working overtimes. I was just unrelentlessly busting my ass, right? I, I didn't take out any debts on cars. I actually sold my car to help get a deposit together and used to have to, you know, scab lifts off, off people. And so I made these huge amounts of sacrifices over a, a three-year period to buy property at 18, right? Now, the, the issue is when everyone uses the averages of, of things and then they lean on that, it's you're not the average person. There's no such thing as the, the average person. You're, you're you, you know, and the decisions that you make in your life and the activity that you do will determine your results. It's, it's not a macro thing where, where you can lean on that and you can use these stats and say, it's too hard, it's too hard, it's too hard because I've been in finance for six or seven years and I've helped hundreds of first-time buyers buy their property. What are they doing differently? Do you know what I mean? They're, they're working hard, they're renting, they're saving, they're doing whatever they can um, to, to get into the property market. And it's it's like anything, man, like you'll either find an excuse or you'll find a way to do it. And it, a lot of times I, I tell people like earn more money, like mm. upskill as a human and add more value to society and you'll get paid more money and then you'll be able to do more things financially. And people get offended by that, but it, it but that's the capitalist economic system. You get paid based on the amount of value that you add to society. Like if you've got a building company and you build one house a year, or if you've got a building company and you build 100 houses a year, the guy who builds 100 houses deserves to have more money than the guy that builds one because yep. he's making a larger impact to society. So if, if you know the young people that are listening to this and they're concerned about getting into the property market, don't worry about the macro. Don't worry about because you're not the Australian economy. You're not interest rates. You're not inflation. You're you. So figure out in your own life what activity you need to do, what decisions you need to make to break out and, and do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like back in 2000 compared to, to um, 2022, like there are so many ways that you can make um, make money these days as well. Like, I mean, I, I'm last two years I've been sitting at home working from home, making an income. Like, <laughs> I couldn't do that in 2000. So there's so many more options these days of actually how to make income. Even just like podcasting, right? What we're doing right now. Mm. That wasn't mm. the thing. 2000. Um, there's just so many new ways on how you can make money. So if you look at the averages of, oh yeah, the average wage now is 53,000 and you just have in your mindset that, you know, nothing's really changed since 2000. That's just absolute rubbish. Like what you can do these days is so much different to what you could do 20 years ago. It's just, you're using it as an excuse to not do anything about it. hundred percent, mate. Like I, I look at it, my, my grandfather immigrated from, from Italy after the war. Okay, it didn't know the language. Came here in, he, he had a suit on. That's all he had on. And the day he got off the boat, the, these these young kids started throwing rocks at him and said, "Go back to where he came from, right?" Um, and couldn't speak the language. Had to learn from from scratch. Had to start his whole life here in Australia. And the job ads used to say, 
no Italians to apply. Wow. No, no Italians to apply. That's that's in the job ad. It's like, you know, Barber wanted because he was a barber, no Italians to, to apply. And that was all the, the, the job ads. And the language barrier, the racism, even the banking system was different. The immigrants at that time could borrow less than, mm. um, than, than Australians. And he still managed to, you know, work, he bust his ass, save money, buy a house. And we don't have those challenges, Mick. Mm. You know what I mean? When was the last time that um, you've been denied an opportunity because of the color of your skin or the color of your eyes or the color of your hair? Mm. Um, it, it doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? So they, were, they, they, they had their own challenges back then that we don't, I never had to face that. You know, I, I, never in my career um, have I been set back because of my, my heritage and we take that for granted. So there's things, yes, that are tougher, but they're things that are a lot, lot, lot easier today that just didn't exist back then. Yeah. How, how does that make you feel? Like knowing that, um, you know, you, what your grandfather went through moving to Australia, like how, does, how does that make you feel as a, you know, a bloke in his 30s in Australia with, you know, Italian heritage? And like, how does that make you feel? Well, it, my, my nonno is my hero. My nonno, yeah. my, my dad and my uncles, they're my heroes. Um, I feel proud, mate, because I'm. They came from poverty. They came from. They were starving. Uh, it was all destroyed, and I'm doing exactly what he came to this country for his grandchildren to be able to do. Mm. Do you know what I mean? This is the the family that I'm building, the impact I'm making to society, to community, the 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 business that I'm building, the wealth that's been created for generations. That's why he came here. So I feel like I'm doing doing him an honour, doing mm. him an honour that my activity, if he had to look back when he came here, he'd be going, that's exactly what I wanted for my family and that's why I got on that leaky butt. That's awesome. I love that. love that. And mate, you, you've obviously, um, you know, made had a pretty successful career so far. What, what's um, what's your big secret on, well, not secret as such, but how do you, how are you going to pass on this knowledge to your kids to make sure that, you know, that whole generational wealth um, thing can play out correctly so that they don't just inherit, but inherit money and then just blow it up and buy Lamborghinis and everything else. Love that. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really good question, man. I've yeah. struggled with this my whole life. I've struggled with it. Like I've thought about it my whole life. Right. Mm. Um, because most people don't do it very well. Most people, the first generation makes it, second blows it, third has to start again. Yeah. Um, and that's sad, but it's very typical because the first don't teach the second, right? Um, I talk to my just, kids. Sorry, just, just before you go on, do you think it's that the um, first doesn't teach the second or do you reckon the first um, just doesn't know how to teach the second? I think both. I think the both? first doesn't yeah. teach the second because they don't know how to. Yeah, okay. Right, they, they don't know how to. Um, they probably just busted their ass their whole life um, and, you know, maybe bought a couple of properties or, or maybe done, you know, something along. And that's, that's pretty typical. You know what I mean? People just busted their ass, bought two or three properties, and then there's a large estate at the end of it. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they probably never had the conversation with money. Money, money's pretty taboo. Mm. Like m- most people, like I don't care and you don't care because we talk about money every day. It's all we talk about. Yeah. Um, it's my favorite subject, but for most people, they don't like talking about money especially when there's too much of it or not enough of it. They, mm. they, they, don't, they don't want to speak about it. What I'm doing with my kids is I talk to them about money all the time. Now, my daughters, my Ariana's four and Talia's two. 
So they're very little, right? They're, they're very young, but we have these conversations at dinner and I, I talk to them about what I do for work and I talk to them about money and I talk to them um, about, you know, buying houses and stuff like that. And they're pretty simple conversations and I get them to pay for things and we're building a house at the moment. And I explain to them that people are helping us build the house because we've got money because we've helped other people do other things and they've paid us money. And now we're paying them money to help. And that's the way the economic system works. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to teach them when they pay for something like they have to go to the counter and pay for it. You've got to give this person the money for the thing that you're, you're taking. And even like Ariana, the other day I said to her, I said, how many houses are you going to buy Ariana? She said two, I said 200, she's like 200, I'll buy 200 houses. And just the, (laughs) but it's, it's instilling it. It's yeah. instilling it and it's not being scared of the conversation. It's being very comfortable to be able to have these conversations um, with your kids and hopefully they they pick up a few things along the way. Will they be exactly like me? I don't know. I, I don't frankly, I don't mind. But they'll, mm. Maybe they, they'll have other passions in life. They'll have other pursuits in life. But money's important to the degree that basically nothing else can be done without money. Um, so that's why I want to teach them about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, like what we do at Aureus where we're <clears throat> with the whole wealth education, we're, we're getting people teaching them simple systems that they can run long-term into the future. So they can get them to a point where they don't need a financial advisor in the future. Right? Like we want them to educate them to an, uh, up to a point where they, they can make sound financial decisions for themselves. So you don't have to work in financial services to understand how to invest and how to set up your cash flow and budgeting and forecasting everything else, but you do need to be educated somewhere. Um, so yeah, I think education is a massive part of it. I was actually thinking, uh, cause I've just had Max and I've started to think about all this stuff. Um, I was thinking about when, once he's old enough to, you know, un- have good conversations with him, maybe when he gets to about four or something like that, starting up an annual entrepreneur event where maybe him and if we've got another kid, we can, they can kind of compete against each other, maybe give him like a hundred dollars. And they've got to answer a few questions like, how are you going to, you know, like come up with a business plan, basically I'll put it down into like little kids questions, maybe with marketing. Um, how are you going to find someone who's going to give you some money or something like that? Um, how are you going to convince them? So maybe go through like a sales process. Um, what's the products? Like, what are you going to actually sell to them? And like kind of go through like these really simple questions and just get it more and more advanced every single year. And then just, they can compete it against each other. And if they turn a hundred dollars into $200, awesome. They got 200 bucks for the year. Um, yeah. Doing something like that, just to teach them entrepreneur entrepreneurship all the way through until I love that. (laughs) That is, that is the best idea of it. You should do it me. Yeah. I'm thinking of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. That is super cool. Yeah. Mate. Um, what so let, let's let's go back on the property thing for a sec. Mm. Um, like for for a young person that genuinely is like, usually it's a problem for the ones living in Sydney and Melbourne right now. Like, they mm. look at the property market and it's just it's so expensive that you know to get a deposit to buy a property it's just it's completely out of t- like out of reach for them. They just can't they can't achieve that. Mm. What do you what do you say to someone who doesn't want to move from Sydney? They want to stay living in let's say the Northern Beaches. Um, but they just they can't buy a house there, but they do eventually want to buy a house. What do you think someone should consider doing as like their first step? I think you've got to start with the foundations, right? It comes back to the household cash flow. How much money's coming in, how much money's going out, and how much are you saving? And if that number is zero, then it doesn't matter if you're in Sydney, Adelaide, uh, 
anywhere in Australia, in the outback, it doesn't matter. If you're not saving nothing every month, you're not getting ahead and you can't blame Sydney for that. You know what I mean? Because you can't buy a not you can't buy two million dollar house. You can't even buy a two hundred thousand dollar house because you need to you need to have that basic principle in place that you need to spend less than you earn. Second thing I would be teaching them is you need to earn more. Mm. You need to earn more. And I can't drill this into people's heads enough. If you want to, you have to stay on the Northern beaches where the average house price is $3 million and it's one of the most prestigious areas in the entire world. And you think it's your right to live there. You've got to earn it. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and people might not like that, but you know, I might cop a little bit of grief for that, but Mick, it's, this it's is true. A, it's, it's a $3 million house. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you, you don't, the world doesn't owe you a $3 million house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Move move to the outskirts of Brisbane and buy a house for 300 grand or something. You, you know what I mean? There's other ways to, to go about it if you don't want to push yourself to that, that limit in life. So that's the... Um, that's the second thing. And the third thing is if it's, you need to have a plan. And if it is a 15 year plan to get where you're, where you're going and you are saving money and you are increasing your income and you are on track, then how do you start investing that money in the interim um, to get you to your dream home uh, eventually? Because it mm. can take time and you don't want, you don't want to have cash in the bank being eroded by, by inflation. You want to get those, that cash into, you know, growth assets uh, if you're going to invest for, for long periods of time. So they're probably the three key things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm from Sydney and I, 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 ideally I was aiming to stay in Sydney long-term, but um, Sydney prices to me just got waste, like so expensive that mm. I decided I want to buy a house. I want to get ready to have a family and everything else. So that was the reason why I moved to Brisbane. I mm. was like, I know I can afford a really nice house in Brisbane, really close to the city. I know the employment market is a lot different now compared to what it used to be. Um, so I just made the base the decision to just move and just set up the life in Brisbane. And it's worked out really well for me. Mm. Um, but I guess, you know, for the ones that do want to stay, there's there's so many other options, but I just feel like people don't have the mindset to buy a place, buy buy a property that you can afford. <clears throat> like, yeah, you can't afford to buy in Northern Beaches, but realistically, you shouldn't be able to afford to buy in, real, in Northern Beaches. Mm. If you're buying your first property and you're trying to buy it in the same place that your parents bought in 30 years ago, and now it's like the most like the most expensive real estate in Australia or, you know, parts of the, some parts of the world, then you've just got unrealistic expectations like rent where you want to live and um, and then maybe start building a property portfolio from places in Brisbane or Adelaide or Perth or whatever else like start getting into the property market then you can maybe start leveraging and get your wealth position to a point where one day you might be able to buy a, pl- a property in Northern Beaches 100% mate you've absolutely yeah. hit the nail on the head i agree with that completely yeah yeah mate some um, I want to also talk about um, crypto with you because, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a, it's it's a, the wild west in the crypto market. Mm. Um, but you know, people do get sucked into that stuff, right? Mm. Um, they hear the noise on the internet, like these get rich quick bullshit, um, and they start investing all of their money into that, hoping that they're going to go, you know, one thousand x and retire tomorrow. Mm. What's what's your thought on the whole crypto space? I strongly go, go nuts. I, I strongly <laughs> dislike it. I've actually got I've got a couple guys coming on the podcast tomorrow. Someone's coming on my side, and I've got two other guys that are going on the crypto side, and we're going to have a punch on. Um, nice. At least unleash my demons on them. Um, you should do it with boxing gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> nah, raw fist, mate. I'm going to teach these guys. 
<laughs> now, I, I strongly dislike it, mate. I, I strongly dislike it for so many reasons. Like when you when you're investing, when you're investing, the number one rule is to like not make big mistakes. Do you know what I mean? It's to not make big mistakes. It's to not lose money, right? It's the preservation of capital, and then you focus on the the growth of capital. When you're looking at things like Bitcoin and the and and all the other cryptos, the main reason I dislike it is because it provides absolutely no use or benefit to society. Mm. And people can argue that to their black and blue in the face. It's a digital currency. I pay for things on my phone. I haven't paid for anything in cash since 1992. Like mm. my currency is digital too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and it's it, it it's that's that's my, my biggest bugbear is that it's useless. It is a useless thing for society. It doesn't benefit society in in any way, shape, or form. If you have a business, right, that business provides goods and services and employment to society. If you have a house, it provides housing uh, for to, for you to raise your kids in. Like these things are useful to society, so you can you can understand them and you can value them. But when you look at cryptos, because they don't produce anything and because they don't have any real use, it's impossible to value. Um, they, it, essentially, the intrinsic value of it is zero um, mm. because there's nothing to value it on and the second the the third reason i hate it um is because of the the rampant speculation um that's 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 happening in the market uh, where people are buying things and they're being encouraged to buy things from spruikers that they don't understand. And the only reason they're buying it is to sell it at a later date for a higher price. And that is a very, very stupid reason uh, to, to buy an, an asset or to, to purchase anything because the mm. entire game stops as soon as it stops going up in price. And that's what we're seeing at the moment, this massive uh, unwinding of, of, basically the entire crypto market and the NFT market's basically non-trading at the moment. It's basically no NFTs trading hands um, because it was all just built on, on quicksand, you know? Yeah. Um, and the fourth reason it pisses me off is because it's the people who can least afford to take these risks that are, as in your own words, hoping to get rich quick uh, and they're doing their shirt, they're doing their ass and they're the, the least in society that can actually be able to afford to lose that money um, because they're hoping for that, that big win, you know, to, to get them out of the rat race or to, uh, to, to fix their financial problems. And I detest people that are more savvy and they prey on people that aren't as savvy in order for them to benefit or them to gain. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's my, my take on it, mate. That's yep. my take on it. Yeah, like the when when the crypto market first started, I was I thought it was like kind of interesting that you know they've come up with this currency that's completely on the internet, that's taken away the banks and the governments and all that kind of stuff. But it hasn't really, right? Like if the governments worldwide just one day decided we're done with the crypto market, we're just going to shut it off, make it completely illegal in our country, crypto will just die overnight, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So if, sorry, sorry. Go on. It, like if like let's take the United States for example, right? Because sixty percent of the world's money or something similar is in America. The only reason they haven't banned it, two reasons. Number one is because it's not a threat. Number two, it would cause economic stress, right? Because it, it, there would be a lot of wealth that is wiped out if you if you black banned it. If it ever became a serious threat, and Europe, America, 
Japan, Australia outlawed it, how are you going to use it? Mm. Like, how are you ever going to use it? How are you going to be able to talk about it? The exchanges would be shut down. They would literally shut the exchange. It would be illegal to run an exchange. Yeah. Um, so it's like, the, and that could happen overnight and send everything to zero. And yep. do you know what I mean? What a what a, what an unnecessary risk that is. Yeah. Yeah. I think if anyone gets anything out of this um, crypto talk, it's just don't overextend on the whole crypto thing. Like if you're going to do it, just do it with a very, very small percentage of your overall wealth position. So that way, if it does go to zero tomorrow, you're not going to be, you're not going to be that impacted. You'll be maybe a little bit annoyed about it, but you wouldn't, mm. you won't, you're not going to be able to, you know, not be able to do anything else with your wealth position afterwards. Cause that's the problem. Like it went like the recent crash, so many people were stressed as anything because mm. 90% of their wealth was in crypto. Mm. Everything they had, <laughs> yeah. everything they had. And here's the thing, mate, here's the thing. I used to be a derivatives trader in the past. So I'm still mates with heaps of, heaps of traders, okay? And speculators, I guess you'd call them, professional speculators. And those guys have made good money out of crypto because mm. they know how to trade. You know, they're not, they, they know what's going on. They've got the risk parameters in place and they know how to turn a dollar out of it, whether it's going up or down, doesn't matter. Yeah. Everyone else in my life who's gotten involved with crypto, who's not a professional speculator, has done their ass. And some of them have done their ass substantially. Um, and I hate to see it, man. I mm. hate to see it because people work hard to get money and to, to see it blown on um, basically punting, it, it hurts me real bad. Yeah. Yeah, the, the crypto was one part of it, but like the NFT one, the that just never made any sense to me. I, d- I don't understand how a JPEG file can get sold for one hundred and fifty million dollars. It just, it's just lunacy. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, Absolutely. I heard on, I heard on your podcast. I think it was, his name was Matt. Um, he was, he was, he was really interesting. Like he was a really good, mm. good cat. He's coming um, up tomorrow. Is he? Okay, cool. He's one of the enemies. He's one of the enemies. <laughs> well, he's he might be an enemy, but he's he had he made some good points. Like the way he described the internet changing over time, that, that was a good point. Mm. Um, and I forget a few other good points, but he, he, I remember him being a pretty good guess. Um, but he was saying with the NFT, it was, it was interesting how artists can now monetize their work in a new, new way, which I thought was interesting. Mm. But every other aspect of it, it just seems so ridiculous. Like mm. I just don't, I still don't understand how a JPEG file can be worth anything more than at 20 cents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it hundred percent. And I don't, I don't hate it all. Like when the dust settles, there's there'll be pain one day. I don't know how and why that's why I haven't shorts. I uh, haven't short sold it, Mick. Um, yeah. I've wanted to, I've been watching and I'm like, Oh, but I haven't. Right, yeah. I've completely stayed out of it. I haven't taken a position one way or, or the other. I definitely wouldn't take a long position. But some of it, when the, when the rubble settles, is going to be useful. Mm. Some of it's going to be useful. I don't know what it is, but 0.1% of it will be useful somewhere along the line. And something like that, where artists can monetize their music by selling them as, as NFTs, that's a useful thing for society. Yeah. So I don't, I don't hate that. Yeah. I don't hate that because it produces something, right? There's there's revenue, there's a product, there's it makes sense. Uh, but for things that don't produce anything, that's what I stay away from. I stay away from things that don't produce goods or services. Yeah. All I kept thinking with the whole NFT thing was that it was just a, a worldwide um, attempt of money laundering. <laughs> like, it I was probably just was. Like, 
You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, no, I, I didn't, I wasn't sending you $10 million for illegal activities. I was buying a JPEG file off you. <laughs> That's probably all it was. It's hundred percent what it was. Otherwise, why would you do it? You know what I mean? That's a very easy way to clean money. That is yeah. a very easy way to clean money. And um, that's bad within itself because normally if you're cleaning money, you've probably done some pretty bad things to get the money in the first place, which is obviously we don't encourage that because it's a, yeah. a scourge on society, you know, the deepest depths of just some weird people out there doing weird stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. That's it, mate. Mates, um, I really appreciate you jumping on. I think it's been a real valuable uh, episode for all of the listeners. Um, mate, any, uh, any kind of final words um, before you kind of wrap it up? Oh, final words. Just do your best, guys. Do, do, do your best out there. Get, get educated, make good decisions and, and live life with passion. Love that. Mate, um, if people do want to get in touch with you and um, talk about, you know, um, I don't know, property, crypto, business, how to grow a beard, like anything, <laughs> how, can, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, hit me up on your favorite social media. Um, you know, Chuck. Uh, Sam Panetta into any search engine or chuck it into any of your favorite social media platforms, hit me up and let's, uh, let's connect. Sounds good. Awesome, mate. Well, thanks so much for jumping on. Um, I'll chuck this up on YouTube and all the um, audio apps probably today. And um, yeah, mate, really appreciate your time. Pleasure, mate. Thank you so much.